Ahoy authors! You're listening to the Writership Podcast, a show focused on helping indie authors master self-editing skills. So come aboard and get ready to find the treasure in your manuscript with hosts Leslie Watts and Alyssa Archer. Welcome to episode 17 of the Writership Podcast. I'm Leslie Watts. And I'm Alyssa Archer. Leslie and I are the co-captains of writership.org, where we create books, programs, and content for writers who want to improve their craft. With this podcast, we want to help you edit your way into a great book. If you'd like to find out more about us and writership, you can find us on the web at www.writership.org. The Writership Podcast is brought to you by the Author Marketing Institute as part of the AMI Podcast Network. You can learn more about how AMI is helping authors by visiting www.authormarketinginstitute.com. Are you looking for more five-star reviews of your book? Of course you are. Become a premium member at Author Marketing Club and get access to their award-winning reviewer grabber tool. Find top-tier Amazon reviewers for your books in minutes. Check it out at www.authormarketingclub.com. So, Alyssa, how are you today? <laughs> I'm doing great. I am. Uh, I got five hours of sleep last night, which was awesome. <laughs> which to most people probably sounds like not enough. But uh, I've been troubled with insomnia lately, so that was just really delicious to have five hours in a row. And um, been having fun working on a four-book outline for uh, my next little series I want to write. So that's kind of nice to toy with and play with. Awesome. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I am slowly settling back into my house. Um, and despite some technical difficulties this morning, I am feeling ready to talk about our submission. <laughs> well, how about we get started? All right. <laughs> so we have the quote of the week. Yes. Today's quote is from Ben Bova. In science, there is a dictum. Don't add an experiment to an experiment. Don't make things unnecessarily complicated. In writing fiction, the more fantastic the tale, the plainer the prose should be. Don't ask your readers to admire your words when you want them to believe your story. I like that. Uh, I think, um, obviously I like it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think I picked it out, so you don't have to like it. But <laughs> well, I do, I do, and and the thing I like about it is that yeah, we want to try to like don't ask the reader to keep track of or do too many things at one time because it's hard. And if it's, I mean, it's not that I love a challenging book. Um, some readers do, and some readers don't. Um, but you don't want to make it make there, you know, essentially so many moving parts that it's hard to follow is I think that's what I take from this quote. Yeah, I um, I like this a lot. I think one of the biggest compliments I got on a recent book that I put out was that the the author disappeared and the story was all that was left. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of what I get from this, too, is. Um, you're not trying to call attention to how great your prose is. You just want the story to shine. Mm -hmm. and, um, 
Yeah, nice thought from Ben Bova today. All right, shall we get started with today's submission? Yes, yes. So today we have a dystopian science fiction um, story from Kenneth Ward. It is available on Amazon.com and it is about 99 pages, so I call that a novella. And um, it's called The Clone Rules. So again, The Clone Rules by Kenneth Ward. And we're visiting the first five pages here. One. Dusk is here, finally. We're getting into the middle of days of sun when my time in the fields grows to almost unimaginable lengths. Today, me and Stern bundled an entire parcelage of hay, best we've ever done. Tomorrow I will drive the bale truck to Hill, where the hay will be boiled and turned into resin. From there, the resin is made solid and bottled for the clone farms. I don't enjoy the taste of clone people as much as I did when I was young, but that's something, when I can help it, I like to keep to myself. That was a day, wasn't it, Bram? It surely was. See you in two morns? Assured you will. I've no say in the matter. Be cautious and hill, will you? Always. Good eve, Stern. Good eve, young Brahmin. I swear this is the best part of my wakeful hours, the long walk home, the sounds of the night creatures spilling out from all their mossy corners. It's a wonder I ever make it home. The faintest lights twinkle above. They are worlds unto themselves, of a kind I cannot conceive. No one in this whole world can imagine what might exist beyond our mortal plane. Not even the High Council could know such things. Father Brig calls me foolish for entertaining the thought. Brahmin, there you are. Hello, Mother Dyer. Your father has a broil on for you. Thank you. We thought to wait, eat with you. Our hunger thought otherwise, Father Briggs said. I've sat at the table in our regent room. My father makes our meals. He must be the only man in five regions who insists on preparing human flesh a dozen different ways. Tonight's broil is welcome news. It's one of the more palatable ways to enjoy the meat. Strangely, there's a bowl of yellow fruit in the center of the table. A strange sight forms before my eyes. Mama Dyer thinks they're pleasing to see. I do. I've taken hold of the fleshy fruit. It weighs heavy in my hand. I'm enjoying a big bite while my mother gasps at my boldness. The taste of it is sweet. The juice is running through the whiskers on my chin. Brahmin hold, you devilish creature, mother said. The boy wants to die young. I've often said it, mama. My father believes I'm of the reckless sort, a trait he said I inherited from my uncle Soren, father's brother, a military hero and our region's most famous son. He died in battle 600 years ago. I met him only once when I was three. My father placed a platter down on the table and taken a seat by my mother on the bench. Whenever you're through with your junk food, try this bit of mastery. You're both gonna sit there and watch me? Of course. My father takes great pride in his culinary skill. I'm likely the only person in the world who sees little difference between the varied cooking methods of the same slab of cloned meat. The bit of flesh looks wet and gray on the fork. I bite through the morsel and swallow. The taste of Father Briggs' broil is less satisfying this time, 
but I know better than to expel such honesty, for my for fear my father will find courage and insist on traveling with me tomorrow to Hill. Hmm, excellent. Isn't it? You see, mother, I still have my ways. Indeed. The hard day of work brought a hunger out in me I haven't experienced in some time. I ate two helpings and handed off my plate with room for more. Best bed down, I imagine. You'll want to leave for the city by sunup. Of course, father. Two. Sixty-eight bales by my last count, father said. Mine too. Don't come back without at least five hundredfold. Five hundred? You heard me. My father always places a higher value on our stock than I believe we are due. Five hundredfold is a lot of money for sixty-eight bales of dead grass. Mind you, we are one of the last families in the region to hand bale our product, and the only farm around that cultures our grass chemical-free. Secure load? Secure load. Be cautious, Brom. Be cautious, Father Brig. Hill is the largest city in Region Jai, the closest region to our west. It is known for its mountainous land and large forests. Hill is just across the border from Region Gust, my region, the plains region, the grasslands of Sidon, our planet. Hill, like all cities, is a dangerous place. Most of the world's people live in cities. They've become overpopulated and violent crime has risen in kind. I take this trip into the city to, to sell our hay twice a year. My father used to come with me, but he has decided against it in the three years since he was attacked by thieves and injured badly. It happened on our second morn in town. I had yet to rise, but I awoke to his screams. I killed the men with my bare hands. The local constabulary offered me full pardon for cautious defense of product, and we were offered the meat off the thieves' bones. We were thankful for the show of compensation, but we declined. Who knows what awful genetic traits lurked within those scabbards. The morning sun has moved high. I'm thankful not to be toiling in today's heat. Poor Stern. I can hear my father now barking orders from the porch at all the hired hands. I'm thankful not to be there. In addition to the fun of spending two days away from the farm, the drive to Hill is a pleasure. Hours of pasturland swirling by, making faces at the harvesting machines spread across Gus's plainscape. Life is bountiful. I'm four hours into my eight-hour journey. An old lady stands in the road. Were my father here, he would convince me to plow her over, citing cautious defensive product. I am not my father. State your trouble, miss. Such a young man, so helpful to stop. Happy to, miss. You're the oldest person I've seen in some time. Are you missing Mills, perhaps? Cheeky one, you are. I mean no offense. Your advanced appearance, it's a rarity to behold. I suppose it is. Why are you in the road? You see that sway of the trees over yonder? I do. My Liebling is there. He's in pain. He's hurt? He is. Is he your son? He is. Stay here. I will fetch medical transport. No, that won't do. You must come and attend to him. There is no time. I have no medical knowledge. I have other matters. No, please. 
The lady is pulling at my sleeve. She's tiny. She doesn't have the look of a thief or a liar, but I have been fooled before. I have potentially 500-fold worth of product in my truck. It might not be worth the risk to delay any further, though I also do not want to leave an injured man alone in the middle of nowhere. Still, if thievery is this one's game, she poses no physical threat, and whoever this Liebling may be, as always, I am up to the challenge. Let's make this quick. Oh, thank you, dear boy. Three. The frail lady walks ahead of me, away from the road to the patch of trees. The truck is still running. This shouldn't take too long. He's just over here. You are ever most gracious. The only sound besides our steps is the westerly breeze. The land in all directions is flat, save for this small forested plot. I see no dust being kicked up by ambushing vehicles. There's nothing but golden fields along the road. There are neither buildings nor other living souls within sight. The evergreen trees are close and now reach above me. The old miss walks down a small slope to a boulder parked at the base of a tree. Come, come. I look back at the truck. I can hear the engine gently idle. Something feels off. He's right here. Why do I place myself in such scenarios? I'm walking down the slope. I look behind and see the truck disappear from view. Oh, you're a golden soul. I'm behind the boulder with the miss, and there's nothing. <clears throat> well? A crackle of pine cones sounds off to my left, and a young fat man steps into view. Liebling, I presume? He stepped toward me and extended his hand. Of course. Kind of you to stop. Might I ask your name? Might I ask your injury? This one suspects antics, Liebling said to the old miss. Name's Brahmin. It's not my... Brahmin, you needn't be so cautious. I'm looking at the miss. She's shrugging. No, I say. The man's placed his hand on my shoulder, an overfamiliarity I do not like. No, he said. Assuredly, your truck, along with your product, is already gone. Curses! My attempt to run back to the truck is for naught. The man grabs me, knees me in the gut, slugs me good across the forehead, and runs for the road. The frail lady sprints ahead of him, antics indeed. Thundering over the bluff behind me is a horde of screaming men, wild-eyed, running with full abandon. In my pain, I can barely stand. The men have rushed past me as though I am scenery and carried on to the road. I'm able to make it to the top of the small slope ahead to see the whole lot speed away with my truck. 500 fold father. How do you fancy zero? <laughs> that is the end. Oh, little... uh, yay. There is so, so much to love in this, but go ahead. What were you going to say? No, I just, I, I feel like I was, that was what I was going to say. This is just a really fun opening and um, my voice is tired. So I'm going to let you talk first. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm, you know what? I love a story where the, um, where the point of view character is going along and you're in your head going, no, don't go there. <laughs> And they go there anyway, and of course, they have some trouble. 
Um, so I love that. I love that setup. It never gets old to me. <laughs> um, so I really, yes, I really enjoyed this. Um, and uh, I also have a one kind of major suggestion and we can that we can talk about um, for this story. Um, I would urge this author um, to l look at the present tense. So this story is in the present tense uh, and uh, it's one of those it, present tense is not often it's not it's not used it's a lot used more often now than it used to be. Um, and one of the reasons is that it's it's it can be tricky. You're somewhat limited in some ways uh, and um it comes down to whether it's really the best choice for your story. I, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I think we see it a lot in thrillers. Uh -huh. like, and it's mm -hmm. really, that's, it brings an immediacy of presence, right? It's, present tense brings you in the moment you're, and it's, it actually, I think, increases the pace of it. Right. Um, and so you want your story to be, I think you want your story to be rip-roaring if you're going to use that tense and i'm i agree i'm not sure that this story warrants it again i haven't seen the whole book right right but, right um yeah it might be a perfect fit and it's something you definitely want to look at um because yeah you can tell the same story in the present tense or the past tense um and it'll have a completely different feel the um one uh you know, the difference, uh, I found this quote, I can't remember who to, to whom to attribute this to, but the past is more emotionally rich, the present is more sensually immediate. So as you think about your story, your stories, <laughs> folks who are listening, you want to think about whether, you know, like what is more crucial to your particular story, um, because the present tense has that immediacy um but your your choices are limited in conveying a sense of time sharing backstory changing the order of events as they are um the order in which they're revealed and so they're you know it's a it's something to consider for sure yeah and i mean as you mentioned it is more and more prevalent we we are seeing it more uh -huh. um we're seeing it published more uh -huh. But it's, I think, going back to our quote, it does call a little bit of attention to itself. Look uh -huh. at my words. And I want to be looking at the story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, the second thing I want to talk about is actually something that this author does really well. And that's one of the reasons I want to, I want to focus on it because it is done well. It's a great example. The way that this author, um, Kenneth Ward, that's his name. Um, the way he weaves a uh, backstory into the into the narrative is really well done. Um, and I want to point you to a few examples of this. So uh, tomorrow I will drive the bale truck to hill where the hay will be boiled and turned into resin. From there the resin is made solid and bottled for the clone farms. Okay, clone farms, not in this world. <laughs> and then this next sentence is just brilliant. I don't enjoy the taste of cloned people as much as I did when I was young, but that's something when I can help it, I like to keep to myself. 
Um, so here we have a really lovely introduction to, right off the bat to the fact that they, you know, that the people who are in charge are eating cloned people and that this character is not very enthusiastic about that, clearly. Yeah, it's really nicely done world building. And I agree. I think um, I think a lot of authors would be tempted at this point to dive in and give some history or some examples or understanding to the reader of why they've come to be a society that eats cloned people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he does, I agree, such a nice job of refraining from that mm -hmm. in this place and, and yet telling us plenty yeah like whoa okay <laughs> people eat people yeah. <laughs> you, have, you have more examples though yeah i have a couple more examples there's um i like this part where he says strange when he goes to he gets to the house and strangely there's a bowl of yellow fruit in the center of the table so something that we would think is very commonplace uh is very strange and uh and there's a little explanation but it's all in scene so then when he takes hold of the fruit and he eats it uh his mother says oh you devilish creature you know like what a strange thing why are you eating fruit um and so i thought that that was really lovely too and finally uh father's brother a military hero and our region's most famous son. He died in battle 600 years ago. Okay, so we know that these people live a lot longer than people from where we're from. Um, and so I think that is really a nice, you know, it's just really nice ways of dropping a little, you know, dropping some details, the backstory, because no doubt this place is really different. Um, but as you say, if we dump a bunch of backstory right here in the beginning, we might, you know, like it slows the story down. Yeah, and, you lose the story. Yeah. And the tension, too. Um, this way, it like actually adds to the tension. And so it's really beautifully done. Yeah, really. I think in this entire piece, there's only one place where it's a, a serious info dump. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And that's where he's talking about Hill is the largest city in region Jai, the closest region to our West. Right. And describing, um, you know, what happened to his father three years ago and why he no longer comes along on these trips. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And a little, but we, you know, we learn so much and it is immediately relevant mm -hmm. in the the scene yes. that follows. <laughs> so, nice foreshadowing. Um, yeah, so I, I I completely agree. It's backstory well done and uh, a nice exercise of restraint. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And yeah, yeah, lovely. All right, what do you have for us, Alyssa? I have um, a few comments on dialogue. So as you listened, you probably didn't hear too many dialogue tags, right? Brahman said or father said or mother said mm -hmm. and um i will say that there are times when i don't know who is saying what mm -hmm. and so uh, we have several exchanges of rapid fire dialogue where the dialogue is going back and forth between different people sometimes there are even multiple people more than two people talking mm -hmm. with two, with each other right it's rapid fire dialogue and it's um so problems with this we've mentioned it before but problems with it include um, the pace becomes blistering. Uh, number two, you might lose your reader. 
Uh, number three, you're losing opportunities to develop your setting and your scene with narrative description and action. Mm-hmm. And and you're losing opportunity to further characterize um, your characters um, <laughs> through their emotional responses or their physical responses or you know they, the way they look at each other. Right. Um, so you're asking your reader to do more work than they might be comfortable doing when mm-hmm. you use rapid fire dialogue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would definitely suggest that this author go back and look at those extended passages of rapid fire and see what he can do to draw them out a little, slow the pace down just, just a, a tiny bit here and give us a few more images and mm-hmm. all of that. Okay, and then the other thing that was, it's really interesting. So last week we did um, Garrett Robinson's Nightblade. Mm-hmm. And um, it's so nice to have this this week as a comparison because I think they both do a beautiful job of um, using that lilting dialogue and really, like, it, I could not read this without bringing out my drawl. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> so I, th- I think the actual words that are in this one in, they evoke that lilting dialogue. However, a lot of the words that are exchanged are fairly commonplace. Hmm. And I'm not sure that they do as much as they need to. So um, the commonplace dialogue in combination with the rapid fire dialogue, I would suggest that this author take some time and evaluate which conversations are really adding to the story and which um, could be stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say that this, this, I believe it's the first exchange. Yeah, this first exchange. That was a day, wasn't it, Bram? It surely was. See you in two morns? Assured you will. I've no say in the matter. Be cautious and hill, will you? Always. Good eve, Stern. Good eve, young Brahmin. So I mm. believe like the main point of this is, you know, be careful. Right. <laughs> and there's a you know, there's hello and goodbye and um that was a day, wasn't it? So mm. I'm I'm um this is the first exchange of dialogue we have. Let's make it more powerful. hmm Maybe um Maybe Stern could say something. Remember what happened with your dad, however yeah. long ago that was, or yeah. um, or some other like that. That would be, you know, to you could actually weave some backstory, a little backstory into that, and um, make it a little more more than just morning, Bob, morning, John, whatever <laughs> you know. Um, which is it's okay you know, to have some of that. But as you say, I think it really needs to do more than just be a casual conversation between two guys who are working together. Yeah, I think so. I think so. But all in all, I was completely intrigued by this opening. I enjoyed the writing and um, I would keep reading. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I want to say the humor is really good. It's not like overpowering because it is kind of serious. I mean that you know people are eating people, um, but it's uh, but there are those moments of humor that I really enjoyed. So I think this is really well done, and uh, yeah, I would love to see how it unfolds. <laughs> 
Yeah. You know what else I really liked about this is these little, they're like two little moments where we see this Brahmin mm -hmm. exhibit a, a really nice gratitude. Mm. Right? Like mm -hmm. um, when he's walking home, he says, I swear this is my favorite time of day. Yeah. Um, Beautiful characterization there. Yeah. It just really makes him, it buys a lot of sympathy in a very short amount of space. Mm hmm so nicely done kenneth thank yeah. you for sharing this with us yeah so Alyssa, do you have an editorial mission for us today <laughs> as a matter of fact i do <laughs> <laughs> okay so today's editorial mission um we're going to talk a little bit more about backstory we've spoken about backstory before on this podcast but we haven't sent you on a mission to explore your own backstory so today take the first 10 pages of your novel and highlight any instance of revealed backstory. Um, especially look for info dump paragraphs where you're telling a lot of information and not necessarily showing it in, in scene. Mm -hmm. Ask yourself if it's critical to the story or the plot that that backstory be revealed right at that moment. Is there any way that it can be delayed even by a paragraph? Can it be omitted? entirely is it really necessary did you put it in there because you were excited to show the world or did you put it in there because it's crucial for the audience to understand this part of the world at this moment mm -hmm. or this part of the character's backstory what have you all right that is the mission for today yay for <laughs> thanks Alyssa all You're right. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we would appreciate it if you'd remember that the Writership Podcast is brought to you by the good folks at the Author Marketing Institute. You can find them at www.authormarketinginstitute.com. To get more five-star reviews of your books, become a premium member at Author Marketing Club, and get access to their award-winning grabber tool, check it out at www.authormarketingclub.com. And visit us on the web at writership.org. Join our crew and you'll get a free copy of The Writership Sampler a book full of exercises and writing prompts to inspire you. You can also learn more about our editing services and sign up for our monthly editing newsletter. All right, that is it for today. If, you're if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher. And we hope to see you next time on the Writership Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Writership Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving a review on iTunes and sharing the show with your author friends and communities. And right after you do that, make sure to contact the hosts, Leslie and Alyssa, to help you find the treasure in your manuscript. Head on over to writership.org forward slash podcast to submit your pages.